you. That means whatever you're facing, you're not facing it alone. And the one who's had the victory in everything will lead you in victory in everything you face. Amen? God is so good. God is so good. Um, if you would just turn and you can greet somebody around you, you can get out there quickly and, and greet them. Hallelujah. You know, I was, uh, this morning as I was singing, I'm thinking for Gabe and, and Shelby, it's got to be a little strange, you guys sitting there watching yourself up there. <laughs> Aren't you grateful for Gabe and Shelby? And we should be grateful and thankful for everyone that serves in any capacity. You know, it's, it's, this church is not one person or just a few people. It's everybody. That's really what the church is. And it takes everybody to make it what God intended it to be. And, and we're not just the church on Sunday. It's, it's easy to get into kind of a mindset of our walk with God being an event. Okay, Sunday, I've got to go to church. And then I've got to, I've got to, pray in the morning, so that's an event I have to do every day, and, and I've got to read my Bible, and it's real easy to slide into that event mentality, but it's not, not about an event, it's about a relationship that's living and growing and developing throughout all our, our days, not just certain special days, and uh, as we do that, as we recognize that God has for us to grow and, and continue to develop and walk with him and reveal him wherever we are, it's going to become more of a lifestyle instead of an event. God's, Jesus came to give us what? Life and life more abundant. And it's, it's a life that is ever increasing. Uh, we're supposed to be going from glory to glory. And yet sometimes we encounter struggles and, and oppositions and obstacles. And yet in the midst of that, God hasn't forsaken us. God is there with us and causing us to be overwhelmingly more than a conqueror. And, and the only way that happens is through him. And, and he is love. And it's that love that never fails. First Corinthians 13 talks about that love never fails, never gives up, never gives out. And uh, it's that love that... that enables us to live connected or united with God, united with one another. And as we do, the world will know, just like Pastor Gabe shared, the world world's going to know who Jesus is because of our love, our love for God and our love for one another, because uh, there's a oneness uh, with us and God and with one another. And we've been studying about this and learning about unity and and how unity requires love. We also know that, that uh, if we're going to have the revival, if we're going to see people giving their lives to the Lord, turning to Christ and trusting in him, it's going to be because uh, we're loving and we're united. We're loving God and we're loving each other. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your vast knowledge of scripture, right? By all the times you go to church by the big Bible that you carry. Nobody carries big Bibles anymore. They carry them in their phone. Uh, no, by, by our love one for another. And today we're going to continue on in this. Uh, but before we do, we're going to pray. So if you just bow your heads. 
God, I thank you for the choices that were made this morning by those that are gathering here and, and all over this city and this state, this country and this world to, to worship you, to praise you, to, to connect with you and to connect in the body of Christ, to learn of you and to live with you and for you. And today, Father, we thank you that as we're gathered together, your word says we're two or more gathered, you're there in their midst. Father, we, we know that there's no place we go that you're not there, but Father, there are times that we're more aware of your presence, and we want to be aware of your presence, of your plan, of your provision, of your power more often than ever before. That, Father, it would be not an event, but it would be an everyday, moment-by-moment -moment experience that we live with you. Today, Father, we thank you for your word that sets captives free, that is life and health to those who find it, your word that is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, your word that doesn't return void, but it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts to pieces the things the enemy is meant to entangle us and ensnare us with. Today, Father, I thank you as your word goes forth, Father, it will be life. It will bring healing. It'll bring... Uh, enlightenment and understanding and wisdom and transformation. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do today. And Father, we ask you to help us to hear what you have for us to hear so that we can walk out of here with that rhema word, the sword of the spirit, and be able to go through this week with all that you have prepared for us and provided for us. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... So we've been, we've been learning about this unity and, and how uh, we've looked at Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, uh, and how we're to put on love which binds us together in perfect unity and what this love looks like. Because we can say we love someone, but if we don't have corresponding action, are they really going to believe we love them? You know, some of us, we, we say things, but... We don't realize people are watching what we do. That's, that's what the world has had a challenge with, with Christians in general about, the fact that we say all sorts of things, but what we say isn't backed up by what we do. And we should be living the very things that we are saying. And uh, so if we're going to live in this love, we're going to walk in this love uh, that unites us, uh, we, we look back in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3 to see what this love uh, is expressed like. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the attributes or the characteristics of what we're going to experience and express to others so they begin to experience the love of God without ever knowing that it's God. Because it's going to be God in you and through you. Romans 5.5 5 says it's the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. God has made a provision for this, for us to be able to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. It doesn't originate in us, but we have to partner with him so that we can change how we've lived to how God has for us to live. How many of you know that the Bible says this is a new and living way that we're supposed to walk in? If it's new and living, then it's not going to be second nature immediately. It'll become second nature to us. But it's something we have to intentionally choose to do. 
And so we have to choose to intentionally walk with compassion or mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I don't know about you, but I know that that is not my first go-to. Uh, it's, it's something that I, have, I really have had to work a long time and still am working at to, to make the choice of being compassionate and merciful and kind and humble and gentle and patient instead of what my flesh wants to be. And uh, when we do this, when we express uh, compassion towards other people, they're seeing God without even knowing it. When we're kind to other people, they're exposed to God without even knowing it. When we're walking in humility, which is not a characteristic that is often found in our society, uh, they're exposed to God along with gentleness and patience. And so these are things that we need to embrace, embody, or clothe ourselves with. Um, and like I said already, many times we, th we have a perception that our Christian walk is event-oriented and too often we're looking for extraordinary situations to walk in love instead of everyday ordinary opportunities. And this morning I just want to uh, read a, a story, a true story about a cab driver. How many of you know that cab drivers aren't the highest ones on the social ladder? They're ordinary people just like you and me. But how many of you know a cab driver has an opportunity to show God's love no matter where he goes? And if a cab driver does, so do we. So here it is. Uh, the cab driver wrote this and he said, because I have a night shift, my cab often becomes uh, a moving confessional. I encounter people whose lives amaze me, some ennoble me, others make me laugh, sometimes they make me weep. However, none touched me more than a woman I picked up one late night in August. Responding to a call from a small brick fourplex in a quiet part of town, I assumed I was being sent to pick up some partiers or a worker heading to an early shift at some factory in the industrial part of town. When I arrived at 2.30 in the morning, the building was dark except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, many drivers would just honk once or twice and drive away. Unless a situation smelled of danger, I always go to the door. This passenger might be someone who needs my assistance, so I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. The furniture was covered with sheets. Would you carry my bag to the car, she asked. I took the bag and assisted her. Took, she took my arm and walked slowly towards the cab. She kept thanking me for my kindness. It's nothing, I told her. I just want to treat my passengers the way I would want my mother treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me the address and then asked, could we drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I replied. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me 
the building where she once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She also had me pull in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. As the first hint of sun creased the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were concerned and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I replied. Oh, you have to make a living, she said. There are other passengers, I responded, and also, almost without thinking, I bent down and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy. Thank you, she said. I squeezed her hand and walked into the dim morning light behind a door as the door shut. It was a sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once and then driven away? I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. However, great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small, insignificant moment. Let's always be ready to share the kindest with those who God places in our path. I felt like I, I was to read that this morning because I think it's so easy when we talk about loving to do it just when we think it's really going to count. And the truth is, it always counts. And many times, we want to walk in something other than love, in, in, in the selfishness and, and the pride and the arrogance frustration, anger, when people don't treat us the way we want them to treat us or do what they, we expect them to do or think they should do. And just like this cab driver, I mean, this, this was just another call. It was another moment in time, and yet it was a God appointment. Just like every interaction we have, whether we realize it or not, these are God appointments. There's an opportunity that looks so ordinary that it could be easily overlooked or ignored, and we could just go on with life the way we want to instead of living the life the way God has for us to live, a life that is so different than what we would live without him. To have God live in us, the God who is love, 
should have an everyday, all the time influence on our lives. You know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The truth is, as Christians, we're supposed to be ambassadors. We're supposed to be witnesses. And if they've seen us, they've seen God. But I honestly fail so often. And I want so desperately to walk in this love. Not just on Sunday. Not just around Christians. Not just in the moments that it's easy. But in every interaction. And, you know, we see where it says that this love is compassionate. And that word compassion is the same word as merciful. And yet we see very little compassion and mercy on a regular basis in our society. This love is kind and it's humble. Again, not characteristics that, that we're prone to seeing in very many people on a regular basis or gentle and patient. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5, reveal this in a little bit more description. It says love is patient and kind. We know that. But it also says love is not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not proud. It's not rude or selfish. It can't be made angry easily. And it doesn't remember wrongs done against it. So love is patient and kind, but it also isn't certain things. And when we look at this list of being jealous and proud and bragging and rude and selfishness and easily angered and remembering wrongs, we see a lot of that in our society. But I think if we really are honest with ourselves, we see this in our lives. And maybe not. Maybe, maybe you're not, you don't struggle with this, but I tell you that I do. There are times that, that I'm, I'm rude or I'm selfish. I get easily angered. And I realize that in that moment, I'm making a choice. You know, I used to say and, and have come to understand that I was speaking a lie when I would tell somebody, you made me so angry. But I want you to understand that that's not accurate. What somebody did, they did. But my anger was my choice. When we get angry or frustrated, it's a choice. And I can just as easily be patient and gentle and kind and humble, I say easily. You know, I can easily, if I choose, to do what God wants, walk in that. But if not, I'm going to walk in these things. And these are the very things that we see in our society that we, the church, we, the, the followers of Jesus, we, the ones that carry the presence of God, should not display these other things. But how many of you know it's just so easy to do? Yes? Okay. I, I thought for a moment I was the only one that struggled with this. But that's where, this is the way we've lived. It's what we've known. It's what we've done. It's what we're surrounded by. And yet, the Bible says we're supposed to be in this world and not of this world. 
if we're in this world, not of this world, then what God has for us to do is walk in that new and living way as we're impacted and influenced and saturated by the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But it's a choice. It's a choice in that moment. And we, last week we began to look at, at a, a story, but before we get there, we looked at a story about a man by the name of Naaman. But we looked at a couple of scriptures before that, how in Obadiah it says that the pride of our hearts has deceived us. There's a deception that goes on in all of our lives because of the pride that we all deal with. And the moment we don't think we have pride is the moment we're already deceived. And in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 24, it tells us about how a person with pride will view other people. It says proud people think they're better than others. Now, we may not come out with and say, I'm better than somebody else, but we may think we've got a better idea. We're smarter or or we're just more able to do something. And you may be, but the question I have for us today is, just like the scripture says, what is it that you have that you haven't received? Now, I will tell you that my grandfather, who was a very successful man, he started out uh, stringing lines on telephone poles for AT&T. And he worked his way up to become the vice president of AT&T. A pretty huge accomplishment. But the downfall was he had worked so hard and he had depended on himself and trusted in himself because he didn't think he could trust or depend on anybody else. And because of that, once he got where he was, he felt that he deserved certain things because of what he had accomplished, not realizing that God had done so many things in his life, just like God has done so many things in all of our lives, that many times we just don't recognize. And all the good things in your life, all the good things in my life, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. The Bible says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God is looking to bless the unjust so that in that blessing they'll turn to him. And if God wants goodness going to people that are bad, who is he going to have to bring it through? Through us. And that means we can't do what we would normally do if somebody treats us badly. We have to choose to do what God has for us to do instead of what we would want to do. And so going back to 2 Kings chapter 5, we're just going to quickly look over some of this. In verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, the commander of the, king of, of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and noble man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, we talked about this last week, but it bears repeating. This is a girl that was abducted, 
kidnapped, ripped out of her family, ripped out of her friends, out of her country, and is enslaved. Is, is, is there enslavement today in the world that we live in? Absolutely. When people don't rely on God and walk in love, there's always people taking advantage of other people because that's what we do without God. We use people. And in this situation, this, this young girl, it says young girl or little, little girl, and that word in Hebrew means unknown or unimportant. And that's the way the world saw her. Not known, not important, but that's not the way God saw her. It's not the way God sees any of us. There's no unknown people to God. There's no unimportant people to God. Every one of us is known by God, whether we know him or not, and every one of us is important to God because he's got a plan and a purpose for us that would cause our life to be fulfilled. And so she's in this situation very easily. She could have been angry. She could have been vengeful, and yet she wasn't. Here is a girl that remembers who God is and what God's prophets can do and what God can do, and she doesn't wish harm on her captor, but she has compassion and kindness, and, and she's choosing to be patient and humble and gentle. And she says to Naaman's wife, if, if Naaman could only get to the prophet. And we, we went over this last week and how, the prophet, how Naaman listened to her, listened to the wife, listened to her, the little girl, went to the king, told him. He gave a letter of passage to give to the king of Israel. When the king of Israel got the letter from Naaman, when he traveled to Israel to, to uh, see the prophet, uh, the king of Israel freaked out. Elisha said, send him to me. And in verse 9... We pick this up. It says this. Now Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. And Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I say to myself, go ahead. He will surely come out and stand on the, on the name of the Lord his God and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over this place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the, the rivers in Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? So could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. So he was furious because, number one, Elisha didn't do what he expected. Right? When we get angry or frustrated or disappointed in what other people do that we didn't expect them to do, that's an indicator of pride. Understand that pride is going to rob us because Obadiah says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Where there's deception, there is loss. And so in that pride or that selfishness or that self-reliance, and and. Naaman was relying on himself. He already had figured out how this was going to work. Isn't that right? 
And when it didn't work the way he expected to, he anticipated, he had scripted, he, he was furious. And then when he started to think about it and how this didn't make any sense anyways, he was relying on his own understanding. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart, lean not to your own understanding, and always acknowledge God and he'll direct your steps. And, and who was the prophet Elisha directing Naaman on behalf of? God. Elisha just didn't come up with an idea and say, you know what, let's send this one down to the river to wash. He had sought God. God had directed him to tell Naaman, go down, dip in the river seven times. And this didn't make any sense to Naaman. It didn't happen the way he wanted to. He became furious and then he went away in a rage. His pride was about to cost him his healing, his miracle, his self-dependence, his self-reliance. Folks, I have to tell you that, that it's so easy for us to rely on ourselves, to depend on ourselves, to think about how we think it ought to be done, and that is a recipe for loss. You know what the Bible says. God says, my ways are not what? Your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That's why it is so counterintuitive to us to live the way God intends us to, but we can, by the grace of God, by our love for God, by the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ to always encourage us to follow God, to do what God has. Because what God has for us to do, the way God has for us to do it, is not just a good way. Among other good ways, it's the best way. If Naaman wanted to be healed, what did he have to do? <laughs> be obedient. But for Naaman to be obedient, he had to humble himself. He had to acknowledge that he wasn't the smartest one in the room. There are some smart people here today, but none of us are the smartest one in the room. There's only one smartest one in the room, and he's in every room. And that's God. And the amazing thing is, this is what's so awesome. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, it's not like you have to call God. God's right there. He's ready, willing, and able to answer you and guide you. By his spirit. The Bible says we're supposed to walk in the spirit. And when we do, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And when we walk in the spirit, when we're led by the spirit, and the spirit of God is the one who floods us with love, we're going to be able to walk in, in the patience and the gentleness and the kindness and the compassion and the humility that is so foreign to us without God, but we're not without God. But it's taking that moment in time and saying, okay, God, I know you're here. 
and I need what you have. I don't need what I can do. Now, this, this is one of the biggest battles in our lives as Christians. To shift our dependence from ourselves to God. Trust in him with our whole heart in everything. And realize that, that he can do far more. So Naaman is upset and he, he says, you know what? I, this is ridiculous. It would make more sense for me to go back to my country and wash in the rivers that are much better than the river they're sending me to. And his anger, his frustration is about to ruin his life compared to what God had. It goes on to say in verse 13, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Now, who's talking to him? We don't even know their names, do we? This is another situation where it seems like unknown, seemingly unimportant people are willing to speak into Naaman's life. You know, sometimes we, we have a barrier of listening and hearing God because he doesn't come the way we expect him to. How did Jesus come into the earth? Where did he come into the earth? In a stable, in a manger. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is one of the trinity and where does he arrive? In a manger. If you and I were doing this, he would have been in the greatest palace ever built. Because we'd want everybody to know who he is. But folks, God doesn't do it our way. God is not necessarily going to show up and show out. God does supernatural things. All the time, but he's not going to do it the way we would do it. And so we've got we've to be aware that God may be speaking to us through people, through situations, and through what we would never expect, but it lines up with his word. Whenever God speaks, it'll never contradict his word. But many times we don't recognize him because he doesn't come spectacularly. And God has a provision for us. And these, these servants speak to Naaman and then ask him something. And all of a sudden, all this pride that has been going on and this self-will and self-dependence and, and relying on his own understanding it stops him in his tracks. And he humbles himself. And he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Wow. And then he returned. Can you imagine... 
in that moment, the tension that's going on. He's, he's struggling in his mind. This makes no sense. Why, why do I have to dip in this filthy river when I could be? But, all right. And he dips down once and twice and three times and four times and five times. And now he's getting that anxiousness, that, that concern. What if it doesn't work? What if he just dipped six times? It's full obedience, not partial obedience. We see throughout the scriptures when people were partially obedient to God, there was a loss that occurred. And the seventh time he came up and he looks and he's clean. His life has now been restored. It's not just his life. It's his life with his wife. It's his life as the commander of the armies of Syria. It's his life as relating to the king of Syria. This guy is well known. And, and he's had a miracle from God. And not only does that miracle happen to him, there's a miracle that's happening in him. And he returned to the man of God and all his aides and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except where? What's he saying? There's only one true God. That's right, Karen. Only one true God. What, what, what's happened to him? All of a sudden, he is turned in faith towards the one true God. And, and this is what we're looking for. This is what we're expecting. This is what we're believing for, aren't we? That people are going to turn to God and trust in God? Trust in Jesus? And how did it happen? <laughs> it happened because there was a little girl, unknown, seemingly unimportant, that was compassionate and kind and humble and patient and gentle and loving and spoke life-giving words, directed him towards God. Do you realize that that little girl could have been killed on the spot? Her life literally was on the line. Now, in our country, very rarely is our life on the line when we witness for Jesus. Our feelings may be on the line, but our life isn't. Because people may reject us. But right here, she does what she does. Then these servants, these are, these are unbelieving, idol-worshipping servants of Naaman. They're not from Israel necessarily. We don't know this. And yet, God uses them to point him back towards God. I would love to say that the only people God ever uses is our saved people, but God uses unsaved people too at times. He used me before I was saved, and I didn't even know it. And I'm not saying we look to the unsaved, but I'm telling you, you can't exclude anything. But you have to know that what is being shared with you or spoken to you is in line with the scripture. If it's not in line with the scripture, it doesn't matter whether it comes through an unsaved person, a saved person, a pastor, a priest, whoever. 
It's got to line up with God's word. And so he comes to that place of, of believing that there is no other God in all the earth except Israel. And then he says, now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Elisha doesn't take the gift because he doesn't want the man to think that he did it for his own gain. Folks, this is, this is a big thing. As Christians, we don't do anything for what we can get. We do it because of what we got from God. We've already received everything we need from God. He'll take care of us. We, we don't have to prostitute the kingdom of God. We, we need to be trusting in God and, and him alone. Naaman trusted in himself. He trusted in his own understanding. Didn't trust in, in the word of the Lord. Didn't trust in the person God was using. And because of that, he almost missed the miracle that was going to impact him and everyone else. And when he got back to Syria and they saw Naaman was healed, what do you think happened? No, just uh, there's no right or wrong answer. What do you think happened? Do you think people recognized it? Do you think people talked about it? Do you think people wondered about how it had happened? And do you think anybody told them about how it happened? Absolutely. Because in that moment, in that time that occurred at the Jordan with just Naaman's group there, all of them saw what happened. And I'm sure every one of them was just amazed. And I believe, I personally believe that the people that had surrounded Naaman on his trip out, and it wasn't just a small group, it was a large group, those people were impacted and moved closer towards the God of Israel. And when he got back and people heard about the healings and what was going on, they were moved closer to the God of Israel. Understand that every time we witness everything we do, every time we walk in love and, and we show kindness and, and goodness, the Bible says we're to overcome evil with good. It moves people one step closer to that connection with Christ. That's why unity occurs. We're looking to unite people. When we love people, we're looking to unite people with God and with the body of Christ. And every time we love somebody, it's moving them closer, whether they're saved or unsaved. When somebody is saved and they've experienced a bad situation, they tend to want to back up. Anybody know any Christians that have decided they didn't want to be any part of the church anymore? Well, I want you to understand that they're still a part of the church whether they want to be or not. God still has them to fulfill a role in, in among the body of believers. And right now they're being robbed and others are being robbed because they're not where God has for them to be. But when we love people like that, no matter what they've experienced, it moves them a step closer to being reconnected with God the way he wants them to and reconnected in the body of Christ because the body of Christ needs everyone in the body. And before we see the massive amounts of people that are going to come to the Lord in salvation, we're going to see a return of the prodigals. 
And you know the story of the prodigal son. He went away, took his, his younger son, took all, all the wealth that was supposed to be his, lost it all, came home, and his older brother, who had stayed at home, viewed him in a certain light, and he was, he was not real accepting of his, his younger brother. Folks, we've got to be very careful not to be like the older brother. When people come back and God begins to use them and reconnect them, we don't hold this against them. Well, you know, look what you did. You went off and you were living a terrible life, and now you want to be reinstated. But the father reinstates the youngest son, not as a servant, as a son. And we need not to allow that pride that, you know what, I've been doing this while he's been gone or she's been gone or they've been gone, but we embrace them and love them and restore them. Amen? Because without this, God is going to have his way in the earth. Nothing's going to stop that. God's going to have the revival. God's, we're going to see the, the hundreds of thousands of people come to the Lord. But we can only be a part of it if we're going to walk in love. Without that, we'll, we'll disqualify ourselves. Jesus, Jesus was speaking to people and addressing people that trusted in themselves and and was trying to help them understand that you can't, cannot allow pride to be your guide and experience what God has. In Luke chapter 18, he addresses these people, the Pharisees that were standing around him. It says, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Man, that's so easy to do, isn't it? And he said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. How many of you know that that was two different ends of the spectrum? A tax collector was looked down on. They, they, they were looked at as traitors. They were hated. They were despised. Pharisees were, were highly esteemed. And so they went up, two ends of the spectrum, went up to the temple to pray to God. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all my possessions. And it says he prayed, look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with who? Guess who didn't need to listen to that prayer? When, when you study this out, it's saying that he was speaking this to himself and all the people around him. You know, some people pray to be heard, but not by God, by everybody else, to be esteemed highly because they're so spiritual. And, and he's saying, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners. He, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all. I possess. He had an eye problem. And when you and I are dealing in pride, we have an eye problem. It's all about us. I, I, I. 
And it says, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. The pride of the Pharisees, Pharisee kept him from receiving what God had for him because he was self-reliant and self-sufficient. It wasn't a love for God, it was a love for himself. He exalted himself. And folks, we live in a world that looks to exalt themselves. Everybody wants everybody to esteem them highly. And God says we're to esteem one another better than ourselves. And oftentimes we struggle with that because we think if, 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 if I'm humble, if I'm patient, if I'm kind, if I'm gentle, I'm going to be taken advantage of. People may take advantage of you for the moment, but God, when you humble yourself, God will lift you up. The Bible says he who humbles himself will be exalted, lifted up. But he who exalts himself will be humbled. There are only two ways. There's God's way and every other way. And God's way is the way of love. When we walk in love, we stay connected with God. When we walk in love, we'll stay connected with one another because that love covers a multitude of sin. We cover up what other people do to us with that love, with that patience, with that kindness, with the compassion and mercy. And we make what was damaging what was irritating, what was injuring, we make it beautiful and powerful in causing us to be transformed to be more like Jesus, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It's what God has for us to live. When they do what they do, no matter who does it to you, they don't realize they're doing it to Jesus because Jesus considers it done unto him. But in that moment, we need to stand in the gap. We need to step up. We need to choose to love them on behalf of God and not ask for judgment, but ask for mercy. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. The days we're living in, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, people would not ever believe the things going on. And it's not going to get better as far as how people are going to act. People are going to be more fleshy, more selfish, more prideful, more arrogant, more aggressive than ever before. And we as God's people should be moving in the opposite direction. As, as extreme as people are without God, we ought to be that extreme in love because we're with God. And when people encounter you as a, a Christ follower, as one who God dwells in, they should experience something very different than what they're used to experiencing. And it's that very different experience when they experience compassion and mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. 
It's that very characteristic of love in you expressed through you to them that they're not used to experiencing that draws them to God. Father, I fall short so often in this and, and I've asked you to continue to help me decrease. And Father, I pray that you would help all of us decrease, that you would increase, that Father, we would not rely on ourselves, on our own understanding, would not, would not look to do what comes naturally to us, but do what supernaturally you're doing in us and through us. Father, your word says that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Your grace is what we were saved by. And it's your grace that we continue to grow by. It's your empowering presence, your provision, your plan that is not of us, that energizes and enables us to be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do that is so different from what we were because we're being transformed. Father, your word says it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. Help us to keep our eyes on Christ. Help us to keep your love freshly flowing in our lives, that we make room for love, not for the pride and the selfishness and the arrogance. That, Father, those things would decrease and that you would increase. Father, thank you for the good work that you've begun in us that you are faithful to complete because you are at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Father, help us to desire, long for your will in our lives, pleasing you, not ourselves or anyone else. Father, help us to live a life for an audience of one, you. That, Father, every day we recognize we have the privilege, have the opportunity to walk that day out with you and for you, impacting all those around us with your love and your light. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for loving God. Thank you for choosing to live a life for God and with God. No matter what you face this week, you're not alone. God is there. God hasn't ducked out. He wants to bring you through and into the, the life that he has for you, that abundant life, so that people would benefit from the abundance that's coming to your life. Amen? Now, Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you for your presence in them, your power that is unequaled and unending available to them, your plan that is for good with a future and a hope. Father, I thank you for your peace that's in, in each one of your children because the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, dwells in them by the Spirit of Peace.
and your grace and your love that abounds and overflows in every situation as we turn to you and trust in you. Help us to recognize when we're about to trust in something other or someone other than you. That, Father, we would be fully dependent on you, fully relying on you. Your word says those that put their trust in you will not be disappointed. Father, help us. Help us to recognize so that we will do our part and choose. Choose you. Choose love. Choose to walk in the world in a way that is very peculiar, but a way that is life-giving. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, have a great week.